Well, before we read a passage in Deuteronomy, there's something uh, I read this week, and it's in relation to the first few verses of chapter 14. We mentioned about tattooing, and I thought this was interesting. It says, tattooing is all the craze. It is the new rock and roll fashion statement. What is the history of tattooing? It is a pagan practice and has long been associated with idolatry and debauchery. Even today it is closely associated with paganism. And there was an article apparently produced titled Pagan Fashion's New Frontier, Facial Tattoos. The author who in this article makes no claim to be a Christian associates tattoos with paganism. He connects it with a new reverence for pagan beliefs. A prominent book on tattooing is titled Pagan Flesh Works. It is by Maureen Mercury and contains photos by Steve Haworth, identified as the foremost body modification artist in the United States. Body modification describes the practice of burning, inking, cutting, piercing, and otherwise desecrating one's God-given body. A survey in 2003 of more than 2,000 people in the United States reported in the AFP for October the 11th, 2003, found that among women who get tattoos, 34% feel sexier and 29% overall feel more rebellious. It is not surprising that the Christian rock crowd, being only the slightest step behind the world in all points, is adopting tattooing from their pagan secular brethren. And then he quotes the, the, the verse we, we read in Leviticus 19.28, Ye shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon you. And he also quotes a verse which we may refer to later on, 1 Thessalonians 5.22, Abstain from all appearance of evil. So that was interesting in the light of what we said a few weeks ago about tattoos. Uh, Tom T.A. McMahon, uh, who's a partner with Dave Hunt, uh, wrote a letter about Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. And he says, When the Lord put it on my heart to write a book about my concerns regarding Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ, little did I know that I would face a new kind of opposition. I was compelled to address the subject because of my background as a devout Roman Catholic, a former Hollywood screenwriter, and my experience in Christian apologetics. The passionate reaction I received was very different from other controversial issues I had written about in nearly three decades of ministry. In this case, some who were very much opposed to the book were those whom I greatly respect. To a man... Their response to my long list of substantial criticisms, and those were multiple distortions of and additions to scripture, the use of the film medium to manipulate emotions, the false Catholic gospel of physical sufferings to expiate sins, story content taken from a mystical nun, Gibson's goal of reproducing the stations of the cross and exalting Mary, and so on. 
And the results he got was, yes, but God can still use this. We've all heard that so often. At the time, it was seen by many evangelicals as an exciting opportunity to witness worldwide to those unbelievers whose curiosity the popular movie piqued. Although predictions abounded that the film would bring about great revival, no such thing, even on a local scale, materialized. I was told by sincere friends that the value of a book explaining the problems with the passion of the Christ would very likely be short-lived because movies come and go and are soon forgotten. Generally speaking, yes, but not in this case. The evangelical church credited for making the passion an overwhelming box office success was lionized, has lionized this movie. Churches not only purchased tickets for their congregations, they bought the passion DVDs for their libraries, Sunday schools, adult and young adult groups, Bible studies, outreach programs and so forth. Four years since the release of the film, its showing has become an annual Easter event for thousands of evangelical churches. This week, Hank Hanegraaff's Bible Answer Man program is having actor and conservative Catholic James Caviezel discuss his experience of playing Christ in the making of the epic film. Moody Bible Church, which was a very good church a few years ago, has encouraged its congregation to register for Saturday's free showing of this powerful depiction of the last days of Jesus' life on earth. And other examples abound. The most grievous aspect of all this is that this very Catholic production, Gibson calls it his very Marian movie, with all its anti-biblical characteristics, has become a permanent teaching tool within evangelical churches. This is certainly a major addition to the rapidly developing apostasy. Interesting, but it just shows you the way things are going. In reply to that, and on the other side of the coin, listen to this. Christ's call is to save the lost, not the stiff-necked. He came not to call scoffers, but sinners to repentance. Not to build and furnish comfortable chapels, churches, and cathedrals at home, in which to rock Christian professors to sleep by means of clever essays, stereotyped prayers, and artistic musical performances, but to capture men from the devil's clutches and the very jaws of hell. This can be accomplished only by a red-hot, unconventional, unfettered devotion in the power of the Holy Spirit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not written just yesterday, but by C.T. Studd, the missionary to China and Africa, and he died in 1931. So it's always nice to finish up with something like that. He'd turn his grave if he knew what was happening in churches today. So let's uh, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 14, and I think we will read, just for the sake of, uh, to, to, to remind us, some of what I'm going to say today will be a little bit uh, of a recapitulation. From verse 3, Thou shalt not eat any abominable thing, 
These are the beasts which ye shall eat, the ox, the sheep, and the goat, the hart, and the roebuck, and the fallow deer, and the wild goat, and the pharag, uh, that was called a bison, I think, and the wild ox, and the shambles. And every beast that parted the hoof, and cleaveth the cleft into two claws, and cheweth the cud among the beasts that ye shall eat. Nevertheless, these ye shall not eat of them that chew the cud, or them that divide the clover hoof, as the camel and the hare and the coney, for they chew the cud, but divide not the hoof, therefore they are unclean unto you. And the swine, because it divided the hoof, yet cheweth not the cud, it is unclean unto you. Ye shall not eat of their flesh, nor touch their dead carcass. These ye shall eat of all that are in the waters. All that have fins and scales shall ye eat, and whatsoever hath not fins and scales ye shall not eat. It is unclean unto you. Of all clean birds ye shall eat. But these are they of which ye shall not eat, the eagle, and the ossifrage, and the osprey, and the lead, the kite, and the vulture after his kind, and every raven after his kind, and the owl, and the night hawk, and the cuckoo, and the hawk after his kind, and the little owl, and the great owl, and the swan, and the pelican, and the gear eagle, and the cormorant, and the stork, and the heron after her kind, and the lapwing, and the bat. And every creeping thing that flieth is unclean unto you, they shall not be eaten. But of all clean fowls ye may eat. So there we are, all about what they were allowed to eat and what they were allowed not to eat, what was clean and what was unclean. In those verses we have instruction given to Israel as to what was an abomination to the Lord and which they were not to eat. Many modern Jews apparently think that the dietary laws are simply primitive health regulations that have become obsolete with modern methods of food preparation. They are the modern uh, Jews. And I was thinking about that. Isn't it just like mankind to think that God's word can change with our fashions? And sadly, we have many church leaders today, they regard the word of God in exactly the same way. And it's no wonder, therefore, that we have confusion in churches and confusion in meetings when people have a different attitude to the Word of God. You know, looking at the dietary laws, some obviously had some very good beneficial effects on the health. And apparently some of the kosher uh, slaughterhouses in America are so hygienic that they have they're allowed to bypass a lot of the local health regulations because they are uh, their sanitary conditions and all strictly kosher are regarded as being very healthy but health is probably not the only reason for Jewish dietary laws there are some uh, Laws which obviously were good uh, for the health of the people. But you know, uh, 
they say, the modern people say, oh, well, it's been all sort of superseded by uh, refrigeration. And therefore, there's no need to, to keep the laws. But you know, that it's the word of God. And the religious Jews will still stick strictly to these dietary laws. You know, recent years, some secular sources have seriously looked into the matter and uh, to see what, in actual fact, was behind God's thinking in producing some of these laws. And I was reading this note in my, my Bible here. <clears throat> there are three views as to why God established the system. Some believe that the unclean animals were designated as such for hygienic purposes. They speculate that these animals pose certain health risks for those who would eat them even after the animals have been properly cooked and prepared. Others have suggested that since the Israelites would soon be entering the promised land, this system was intended to distinguish God's people from the religious and religions and practices of their pagan neighbours. Therefore, certain pagan practices were not allowed, such as eating or drinking blood and the boiling of a calf or small animal in its mother's milk. we look at that later on next week. Since those things were part of the idolatrous rituals of the heathen people living around them. Finally, others contend that there was nothing in the animals themselves that warranted their designation as clean or unclean, but that God established the system as a test of Israel's obedience and loyalty to him. And that's interesting, actually, because people have looked at that and suggested that, they, you know, it's something to do with the health. But there's no reason, apparently, uh, why a camel, eating a camel or a hare, is any different to your health than eating a cow or a goat. But then some people say, well, the, the camel was a very useful animal. And therefore, God said, you know, not eat the camel because it's much more useful to the people as a beast of burden and, and, and everything else. But these were all just speculations. They said the pig, the pig ate more food, uh, disproportionately more food than other animals. And therefore, uh, they were not to keep pigs. It wasn't economical to keep pigs. But the short answer, and we said this before, the short answer, we noted this previously, why were the Jews to observe these laws? The answer was because God says so. The Bible does not specify any reason for these laws, but a religious Jew, the answer to, him, to any person would be simply because God said so. They showed their obedience by following these laws. To the Jew, God had said it. And that was enough. And you know, as we read and follow the word of God, we do so because it is the word of God. Not some of it, not part of it, all of it is the word of God. And that's the trouble these days. People are quite happy to accept parts of God's word, but not the whole of God's word. There was no point in a Jew not eating a camel, but eating a pig. He was breaking the law. We have to regard God's laws as complete. God's word as complete. 
we looked at, we've looked at the animals, we looked at the fish last week, and now we come into the third class of creature which God gave commandment to. When he was talking about the animals, God set down very clear guidelines. Those that clove, the, the hoof was cloven and chewed the cud. When it came to the fish, it was easy. Those who had scales and had fins, they could eat those. But when we come to the air and we come to the fowls, it would appear that the distinction is not just as clear as in the other two cases. I was looking up Gill on this and he said that every the Jews said he, he said that everyone that has a craw and whose crop is naked and has a superfluous talon and is not rapacious they could eat. Well, I, I don't know where he got that from, but it, it might be right. I looked up the Jewish authorities to see their opinion, and they were much the same idea as what I've been saying there. For birds, it says the criteria is less clear. The law provides a list of forbidden birds, and we have one list in Leviticus chapter 11, and this list here in Deuteronomy 14, but it does not specify why these particular birds were forbidden. You see, all the birds on this list of unclean birds, if you look at them, they're all birds of prey or scavengers. And they say that the rabbis inferred that this was the basis for the distinction. You know, other birds are permitted, such as chickens, geese, ducks, but you know, turkeys, apparently some of the Orthodox Jews don't eat turkeys because they cannot understand where turkeys come from in this particular uh, list here. And so because they have a doubt, they do the right thing, they cut it out. And they, they, they cut the, in the same thing about some of the, 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 the winged insects and things that have four legs and things, they, they, they don't know where some of these come from, so they cut them out. They ban them all. And you know, I thought that as Christians, we were saying in that little introduction, keep away from all appearance of evil. If they had any doubt about it, the ancient Jewish fathers apparently said they're forbidden. We should, in our Christian walk, the Apostle warns us in Thessalonians, keep clear of all appearance of evil. Even doubt, cut it out, would seem an appropriate thing. Now, we've seen in that list that we read, all those birds, they were unclean because they were scavengers, they were birds of prey, they were predators, and that type of thing. You look down that list, you, you'll recognize the eagle, the osprey, and the, the raven, the owls, the nighthawk, the cuckoo. All these ones, they prey either on little animals or on other birds. Many of the birds were birds of the night, of the darkness. We have the the owl 
mostly comes out in the evening. The night hawk. Some crept into nests surreptitiously and they feed on other people's food. Some appeared as very beautiful. Desirable birds, the swans. Look at a beautiful swan. Surely that would be a clean bird. But no, it was unclean. And others were creeping things, crawling around in the dust and dirt, dirt of the earth. But you know, no matter whether they looked nice or whether they looked ugly, whether they were beautiful or not, God said they were unclean. That was it. It was what God said. Now we can see in the above unclean birds many of the people and the types of people about whom we are warned about in the New Testament as Christians. We have cuckoos. No one realized there were cuckoos in the New Testament. But in Jude chapter 4, in Jude verse 4 of Jude, you look up Jude just before Revelation. Jude verse 4. For certain men crept in secretly those having been of old previously written into this condemnation ungodly ones perverting the grace of our God for unbridled lust and denying the only master God even our Lord Jesus Christ what does the cuckoo do? he creeps into another bird's nest and plants dissension right in the middle so we need to watch out for the cuckoos the unclean cuckoos coming into our assemblies and coming into our fellowships and then we have birds of prey the eagle and all those other hawks look at verse 12 these are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you feeding themselves without fear all these eagles no fear but they cause destruction on what they feed on it says they feed themselves without fear clouds are they without water they promise so much but they give nothing carried about of winds trees whose fruit withereth without fruit twice dead plucked up by the roots raging waves of the sea foaming out of their own shame wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever the night hawks birds of prey and then there are those who work in the night the owls come out at night why what Jesus said there are people like that he said and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved 
the night arms. Watch for the people of the night. And then there are those beautiful birds we were talking about. The swans. What could be nicer than seeing swans coming down the river? Beautiful. Ugly ducklings who turn into swans. But you know in Second Corinthians 11.13 it says... For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, don't be surprised, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works beautiful to look at but unclean and you know the the apostle writing in Ephesians chapter 5 if you like to look at that Ephesians chapter 5 we just read a few verses from that because it just sums up what we have been saying about these unclean words what should we do Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savour. For fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them for ye were sometimes darkness children of the night birds of the night but now are ye light in the Lord walk as children of light for the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth proving what is acceptable unto the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Why must we be on our guard? Because John says, we must test the spirits. First John 4, 1 John 4.1 Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try, test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Remember that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. 
He's the prime mover against God and all that is of God and of Christ. And you know, talking about these birds, the unclean birds, look what it says in Revelation 18, verse 2. This is all about Babylon falling. So much in that chapter, uh, and, and Babylon falling and all, is so much so like what Roman Catholic Church is, but uh, here it says, He cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great has fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils. And what else? And the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hateful bird. The unclean birds again, coming up. You know the, the parable Jesus told about the the, the sower going out to sow and he sowed some seed and the fowls of the air came and stole the seed then he tells the story of the mustard seed growing up into a plant and that plant grew into a gigantic tree and the fowls of the air got refuge and they lodged in its branches these same fowls of the air which had robbed the good seed from the path and had been sown into people's hearts the devil came along Jesus said and took the seed these fowls of the air now have, have rest in the branches of this gigantic tree those by the wayside are them that hear and then cometh the devil the fowls of the air and taketh away the word out of their heart lest they should believe let us not give the fowls of the air any rest in our hearts beware of the unclean fowls of the air we're warned the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter days shall time some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils but you know there's something else there's something important with regard to these birds something very important the emphasis in Deuteronomy 14 if we look at it is not so much perhaps on the unclean the emphasis is a little bit more on the clean Whilst it is necessary that we must be aware of the unclean, let us dwell more on the clean. It is sad to see error creeping into the churches. But the problem can result, that can result from that, is that our thoughts are diverted always to the unclean. And we miss out in some way of witnessing to the saving and keeping power of the Lord Jesus Christ the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives the fact that Jesus Christ is glorified and interceding for us in heaven seated at his Father's right hand all those positive things in the good clean words let us not dwell too much although necessary to do so on the unclean you know years before Deuteronomy was ever written years before 
we had the lists the, the Jews were given the lists in Deuteronomy and Leviticus but years before that if you go back to Genesis chapter 7 Genesis chapter 7 we have the story of Noah we read Noah had to bring into the ark clean and unclean animals we look at uh, uh, Genesis 7 it says of the fowls of the air by sevens the male and the female to keep them clean you know uh, in verse 2 every clean beast thou shalt take in to thee by sevens the male and female and other beasts of the that are not clean by two male and female same with the birds Noah was a just man and he walked with God but he wasn't given any list as far as we know Noah hadn't a list to check off well there's a camel coming in how many do we put in he's not told you know there's a couple of hawks oh you only need two of those and there's here comes a, a chicken seven of those it, it, interesting why why when we read that he was a just man and he walked with God and was it that was that the very reason why Noah had discernment which helped him distinguish between the clean and the unclean he didn't need a list why? because he walked with God see we believe probably and I believe that a child of God should also have the discernment as Noah did to distinguish between clean and unclean what John wrote in his epistle 1st John 2 verse 20 but ye have an unction blessing from the Holy the Holy One and ye know all things that's an interesting thing I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth but because ye know it and that no lie is in the truth he was writing to these people he said not because ye know not the truth but because ye know it and because ye know it you're to live your lives in accordance with the truth which God has given to you You know, what about the sheep? We talked about the sheep a few a few weeks ago. Are we following the shepherd? And if so then, when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before him, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A voice which speaks to us. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. And in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 12 
it says the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness unto him neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned we want to be spiritually discerned in all our decisions verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 2 but he that is spiritual judges all things yet he himself is judged of no man for who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him but we have the mind of Christ and if we have the mind of Christ and if we are living in fellowship with him he will give us that discernment between the clean and the unclean we don't need lists we have the spirit of God and he will instruct us as to what is clean and unclean and if we are in doubt like the old rabbis of old just cut it out they wouldn't eat turkey because they weren't sure so they took the wise decision and did not have any truck with even the appearance of evil may I follow closely may I follow more closely than heretofore day by day may we hear his voice speaking to us this is the way this is the way walk ye in it turn not to the right hand or the left this is the way walk ye in it the sheep hear his voice and the sheep doesn't know the voice of a stranger stranger will they not follow why because we have been given the mind of Christ I hear thy welcome voice that calls me Lord to thee for cleansing in thy precious blood that flowed on Calvary though coming weak and vile thou dost my strength assure thou dost my vileness fully cleanse till spotless all and pure this tis Jesus calls me on to perfect faith and love to perfect hope and peace and trust for earth and heaven above tis Jesus who confirms that blessed work within by adding grace to welcomed grace where reigned the power of sin and he the witness gives to loyal hearts and free that every promise is fulfilled if faith both brings the plea all hail atoning blood all hail redeeming grace all hail the gift of Christ our Lord our strength and righteousness the writer says I hear thy welcome voice may we each one hear the voice of the Holy Spirit the voice of God speaking to our hearts day by day may we follow not the voice of a stranger but the voice of the Good Shepherd